Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hey, everybody. We got a great one today. This past Wednesday, we did our first taping of the podcast in front of a live audience at the City Winery in New York City as kind of a midterm preview. And also, first, we had two guests who knew what the hell they were talking about. Cecile Richards and David Axelrod. Cecile, of course, the great leader on reproductive rights, former head of Planned Parenthood. And David, the chief strategist for Barack Obama's successful presidential campaigns. Couldn't have had two better guests to discuss uh, where we are going into Tuesday's election. I, I'm, I'm going to make this intro kind of short. You're right to Cecile and, and David. If you've been listening to this podcast, you'll know that um, I'm pretty freaked out uh, by the threat to democracy that the current Republican Party represents, and I'm not alone. But it's it's not just that. Uh, they also have nothing they want to do to actually address any of the problems that they talk about, whether it's inflation or crime or improving the quality of life for Americans. What they do want to do, they want to make cuts to Social Security and Medicare. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, he was the chairman of the Senate Republicans campaign arm, has proposed subjecting nearly all federal spending programs to a renewal vote every five years. And that includes Social Security and Medicare. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson wants him to come up for a vote every year. Both Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, and Steve Scalise, his, his second in command in the caucus, both have said that Social Security and Medicare cuts will be on the table if they take the House and they have said they'd be willing to hold the debt ceiling hostage, which could throw the whole world economy into a tailspin. And of course, paired with that, they want to pass a tax cut for those at the top. Paul Wellstone said, we all do better when we all do better. Donald Trump was president for four years. The first two years, he had a Republican Congress. He couldn't pass an infrastructure bill, an infrastructure bill. Everyone wanted to pass an infrastructure bill. He couldn't do it. We all do better when we all do better. Infrastructure, you know, when a, when a bridge collapses, a Mercedes falls as fast as a Hyundai. The Inflation Reduction Act will reduce the cost of pharmaceuticals for Americans, especially those in, in Medicare. Medicare will finally finally be able to negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies on the cost of, of drugs. And I say, finally, this is, doesn't kick in yet, so Americans haven't felt it, but this is something that we the Democrats pass in the Inflation Reduction Act, and it will be capping seniors out-of-pocket costs, drug costs, uh, at $2,000 a year. That's, that's huge. And the Republicans, they say they want to repeal that and on and on. So just please vote, of course, of course. 
I, I don't think I really have to convince many of you who, who listen uh, to this podcast of that. But you've heard me say this before, help turn out our people. Uh, in Minnesota, the last few days of, of any campaign, we have GOTV, get out the vote. Do that. Okay, I'll stop hawking you, uh, but really, uh, there's going to be a lot of close elections. Do your part for your country, for your families, for your kids and, and their futures. Okay, coming right up, Cecile Richards and David Axelrod. We taped this on Wednesday at the City Winery in New York City. Now, I started the whole evening by drawing my map. I can draw a map from memory of the entire 50 states, continental part and Alaska and Hawaii. And uh, as Cecile and David come out, she, she makes a little bit of mention of, of my Texas, which wasn't great, which wasn't great. And so that's what that is about. But this is, this is a great one, you know, for a change. Please welcome Cecile Richards and David Axelrod. Come on out of here, guys. See you. That's amazing, Texas. That was a terrible Texas. Well, it's just it might be nice. East Texas is not that big. You ever feel like leaving states off? Uh, I added a friggin' southern state. <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, I was doing it as fast as I could. Okay, um, I just want to start out really talking about the stakes of this election. Um, and, and by the way, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, November uh, 2nd. And right now, things are trending not, not, not very well. But this doesn't air until or we don't drop this until Sunday. And by then, things could have changed and we'll be, we'll be way ahead. Isn't that why we're doing this show? That's it. This will this will help. Um, that's why we're only going to say happy, positive stuff. Uh, but I'm not going to start with that. I'm going to talk about what the stakes of this election are. And um, of course, we saw the attack on on Paul Pelosi, and I can't believe the response from Republicans. And I remember, I was in the Senate when uh, Scalise, the the shooter went after the Republicans at a baseball practice. I remember immediately after uh, Speaker Ryan and Nancy Pelosi had a joint prep conference. Yeah. No, and I I mean, I looked, I was interested after all this, and I went back and I looked at her words, and she said on days like this, there are no Democrats, there are no Republicans, there are just Americans. That's what Nancy Pelosi said back then. I guess it was appalling, but not shocking, given where our politics has gone. But uh, this is a fundamental challenge for our country. I mean, this uh, tribalization, and it's, you know, obviously it's taken a, a virulent form on the, on the right following Trump. Uh, but we, how do we as a country and a democracy survive if we can't see humanity in each other, if we impeach each other as Americans uh, based on our tribe? I, I think this is a big 
a big challenge and that was another reflection of it. I also think it's a, I mean, words um, have meaning and have consequences. And so I think it's not only how we react to what's happened and what happened to Mr. Pelosi, but it's people have to be held accountable for what they say about people in, yeah. in politics, people in the press. I mean, we certainly dealt with this at Planned Parenthood. The things that were said about us um, resulted in acts of violence and people have to be, you know, we have to understand that that sort of basic lack of humanity starts when we describe other people as less than, um, you know, worthy of respect. And, you know, people have been demonizing Nancy Pelosi for years. Republicans have been using her. I think I read that since 2018, they've spent a quarter of a billion dollars on advertising on Pelosi. Uh, but, you know, it started off as a, uh, a way to raise money, a, raise to, uh, a way to kind of spur uh, turnout and so on. But it's morphed into something obviously much more serious and you just you go down that road and now, you know, a fuse has been lit. We're seeing an ugliness. Um, Mark Leibovich, uh, who writes down for the Atlantic Monthly of New York, I was talking to him the other day. And, you know, Moore's Law, which is that uh, they're double the number of chips and computers and the, the speed. Uh, he's saying it's kind of Moore's Law with how ugly their ads are. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think the uh, the only thing I'd say about that is I'm old enough to remember Willie Horton. So I don't know whether, you know, this has not been it's not like these are new concepts. They've been working these concepts uh, for a long time. I think they're doing a much more strategic job of deploying. You know, everybody is treated that way. Everybody is put through that uh, mix master. Everybody all of a sudden is a radical, you know, wants to release criminals and so on. So they're, they've been much more efficient. But Willie Horton was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah that was very I was I had an ad against me where I was put behind bars or something. And uh, and uh, I also had one Al Franken told jokes about bestiality. <laughs> and <laughs> the context of that was I had told uh, I had written an article about parents should monitor their their kids uh, social media, what they get. And I said my. And I wrote my my son did a great fourth grade report last week on uh, bestiality and the download a lot of great visual aids and the kids in the class just loved them and it was a satirical point. But Al Franken told jokes about bestiality and then they put me behind bars or something. So yeah, but I think they're uglier than ever. And Willie Horton was before Dark Money. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think the volume and the systemization of it is uh, is greater, no no question about it. Uh, but um, you know, they're working themes that we've that we've seen before, and they've been pretty effective, honestly. Uh, you know, seventy percent of the races that are the house races that are up for grabs here are in metropolitan areas and uh, in suburban areas, and you know, we saw. Uh, a shift to the Dems in the summer after the Dobbs ruling, and there's been a shift back. And I think some of it's the economy and some of it is this crime issue because there's real concern about crime in these areas. It's just that the ads are completely misleading. Uh, you know, I don't know where the crime rate is now compared to um, 
before uh, COVID and uh, people are feeling it. I, I know in Minneapolis uh, they are. Um, but uh, of course these ads are, are just misleading, but I don't know what Republicans are doing about any of this stuff, about inflation, nothing, about crime. They, they want to just make it everybody able to get guns. Right. I mean, that's the thing is actually, I think the, well, the, the highest crime rates are in this areas that are led by Republicans. And of course, my home state of Texas, where now you now you don't even need a, you don't need anything. You can just carry whatever you want anywhere you want. And um, so and I think that I know we were talking about this earlier, that the Republicans yeah, they're they're right now. They're just going after Democrats on everything, but they have not a single solution for any problem that that they're raising. Um, I think your your line that President Obama, who's been back on the trail in such a fabulous way, I thought his line the other night about you know if an asteroid yeah. was coming to hit the earth um, and the Republicans were in charge, they would just get get in a huddle and say, "Let's cut taxes for the wealthy." <laughs> it's yes. just, uh, I mean. It's yeah. um, they're just getting away. I mean, obviously, that's our problem is the Democrats are in charge of everything. So they're getting blamed with everything. But the Republicans, I haven't seen a single Republican ad uh, with a solution oriented. Yeah, focus. but that is the advantage of being uh, the, the party out of power. Uh, you know, you mind discontent and you turn the election into a referendum on one party. And that's been their that's been their mission. And honestly, history is on their side because it's only been twice in a century in the first term of a president that an incumbent party has gained seats uh, in the House. I mean, and that and that doesn't take into account the fact that we do have, you know, I, I mean, we have a global problem with inflation. I mean, it's higher in, in, in America. In really love that. No, they, uh, point when you say, well, the, you know right, what the inflation right, rate is right, in Hungary? Right, right. And that's the kind of government you right, want. Right. And it's 11%. No, it, right. Yeah. And right. Americans no, it does. That's a, that. that's a losing political argument, although you can't really blame Biden for inflation in Hungary, uh, although they would. They uh, would, yes. Yeah. But, um, but so again, they're in a, they're, they, they have the advantage. Uh, and the question is, has Democratic messaging been as sharp as it should be? Has have the retorts been as sharp as they should be? Um, you know, I, I have some questions about that. I mean, I've thought about you a lot during this last whatever, 18 months, because I feel like we as Democrats, we do great things. And you did. And President Obama did. I remember under the ACA, we passed just unbelievable healthcare reform that improved the lives of so many Americans. And then we never talked about it again. And the Republic, right? I mean, it's, but we, but then we just moved on to the next thing. And um, of course, then it, then the Republicans got to define, it became death taxes, it became all these other things. Of course, we eventually won that um, back, but that's how it felt like. It felt like the, the Biden administration has done remarkable things considering how close this house is how close the senate is i mean the child tax credit if nothing else just the number of children that like got out of poverty as a result of that the number of families it helped but we i i do feel like we failed in never communicating that effectively to the american people not only that this is something that that president biden did and the democrats did but that every single republican who is now running voted against it and I just we I, I, I worry we did not we did not prosecute our case um, and we're paying the price for that now. Yeah. No, I think it's a it's it's a valid 
Kristen, one of the one of the challenges for Biden and Democrats is that uh, some of the things they pass are going to are going to pay dividends for generations to come, but those dividends aren't going to be felt immediately. I mean, uh, even on the prescription drug uh, issue and so on, people are not going to feel it immediately. What they feel immediately is the pinch of inflation. And, and you know, the, 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 the people are in a skeptical mood generally. So the thing that, you know, I'll tell you what I did for you. It's like, I don't see that. Where is that? Uh, and that was the problem with the Affordable Care Act. It didn't take effect for, you know, in, for years after the passage because it took time to implement. So we, you know, it, when it was implemented, then it gained a following. And, you know, Donald Trump with control of both houses couldn't repeal it. Uh, that's. I mean, we, we got killed in uh, 10. I, I remember that, Al. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And I still was, have the tire tracks on my ass from that. And that was because the ACA, and we did not, Americans really didn't understand what the ACA was until they tried to repeal it. Yeah. And their plan to repeal, remember, Trump said that uh, we were going to replace it with something terrific. They kept saying, we're going to repeal it in place, repeal it in place, and then, when Trump won and they had the Congress, I went, well, this is going to be interesting what they're going to do, because they must have been working on this, somebody, for seven years. And they had nothing and nothing. And 23 million people would have lost their health, uh, their health insurance. They were getting rid of Medicaid expansion. I mean, it was crazy. And then we picked up 41 seats in 18 because people went, oh, my God. Right. And because Donald Trump was president. And then he was responsible. But uh, Al, I just want to say one word on this. Uh, I have a child with a chronic illness with epilepsy. You know that we struggle with it. We almost went bankrupt. I was passionate about the Affordable Care Act. She had a pre-existing condition. We couldn't change her insurance. Uh, it was a nightmare. Uh, and I just want to say a word about John McCain, who I ran a campaign against in 2008. But, um, you know, I, Nothing was more moving than seeing him turn his thumb down on the floor of the Senate and lifting up millions of people. And yeah, I remember that night so well. Um, well, I know I did. I, was, I mean, I, I was, was at there. the Capitol. Yeah, well, I think we were. Yeah, we were all. I think we were. That was. Um, I. But actually, I just something I. I just. I as we and I know we're going to talk about Dobbs and what's happened and. But I just think for all these people who said, well, um, this could never happen, I think it's because there was a thought that somehow somewhere in the Republican Party, there was going to be an adult in the room that was going to finally say, and a, a John McCain or someone was going to say, oh, no, no, we were, that was just rhetoric. We weren't really going to do this. And I think that is the stunning thing for me, even though I've been doing politics for a long, long time, is that there literally is no Republican adult left in the room um and the whole thing has now i mean the ones who have of course either just got defeated have been excommunicated have, have been excommunicated yeah. yeah and that is that is um that's stunning yeah you know there was a book how democracies die and the and you know all of the things that that they describe as the process of democracies dying are happening but the end of the book was but what what will prevent that from happening is people of goodwill in the governing party will act as guardrails. Uh, you know, yeah. so you everybody know, feel good about that? 
I've been thinking for a number of years that we're near a tipping point for losing our democracy. And lately, I've been thinking that we've had the tipping points. And part of it was Citizens United. Uh, that, you know, uh, 2010. Um, the 2010 elections where the state legislatures, and part of where democracy is being destroyed is in state legislatures, and that after that census, they won state legislatures in Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan, and they gerrymandered the hell out of it, and they gerrymandered themselves basically, and they were supported by Koch brother money and Alex and all this, this stuff. That's part of it. Uh, 2013, Shelby County, uh, Merrick Garland, 16. And then Coney Barrett. You're kind of bumming wow, us out really here, like, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, okay. you got an audience here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm worried. I hope your stand-up is funnier right. than this. <laughs> it isn't. That's the odd thing. That's the sad, sad part. Um, but I'm... That's the stakes of this election. Yeah, and that's why I want everyone listening and everyone here to door knock and to get out there and, for God's sakes, obviously vote, but get other people to vote because these races, especially these Senate races, are incredibly close and they're not, they're all doable. And people, I mean, just because here we are in New York. I, you know, we've all been around the country. People are doing this. I was just in your home state of Minnesota. People are door knocking in Minnesota every single day. Young people are running for office. I mean, I just met incredible. There are unbelievable signs that our democracy is actually thriving and going, even if some of the, you know, the infrastructure problems are, I mean, they're serious. I don't mean to un undermine that, but I see this wave of young people, not only, you know, young candidates, young voters, the most progressive group of voters in this country, young women in particular, who outvoted young men by 10 points in the last election. I mean, they are on, and if you think they were on fire in 2020, the Dobbs decision has completely, uh, has completely energized them. And reg so regardless of what happens next Tuesday, there is a generation of young people yeah. who want a different kind of country than the Republican Party is offering them. Yeah. And that, to me, is where we yeah. are. I feel that. First of all, I want to know why everybody hates young men so much. <laughs> but I, I work with kids every day at the Institute of Politics in Chicago. And the reason I do that work is because they're inspiring. They don't have the encumbrances uh, of the generations that came before them. Uh, you know, they are, they are, they've been through a lot, so they don't take things for granted so much. Uh, you know, they've been through crises and they've seen disruption and so on, and they want to change the world and they want to uh, make things better. And my question is just whether we are going to hold this thing together long enough to hand leadership to them, because I think it's time for the baby boomers to leave. Uh, and for that reason, good night, everybody. We're, no, but I, you know, I, I, 
I, I think there's, there is dynamic young leadership out there just waiting to do better, and we need to hand them a functioning democracy. And, you know, that's really important. And now I want to be a bummer having said all that. Just about the nature of the election. People should go out and they should fight. And some of these races are going to come through. But they're fighting natural forces. There's a certain gravity uh, to all of this. And, you know, there's the old joke about the guy who gets pushed off the top of a tall building and he gets to the 12th floor and someone shouts out, how's it going? And the guy says, so far, so good. Uh, there is a little bit of a feeling of that because there's okay. so much there is so much stacked against uh, against uh, Democrats here in terms of um, in terms of inflation, in terms of general orneriness that I think still is a residual effect of the pandemic. But these are these are difficult, difficult. This is a difficult environment to be the incumbent party. But we still see the Senate races, which are so crucial incredibly close yes and i won i won my first race by 312 votes i i clobbered norm coleman by 312 votes it does speak to why it does speak to why every vote matters right and i mean you look at there's probably five senate races right now that could go either way and as we know in the midterms it's all about who turns out who's got the enthusiasm and so i just I feel like, I mean, we could wake up to Wednesday, um, could go one way or the other, but these races are still within sight. And I think one thing you were saying earlier, I think is, is really important. It is tough because people aren't really moving over across the aisle. And, you know, I mean, this is a very polarized electorate. But what that means is we know who our folks are and we just simply have to turn them out. And again, there's a lot, you know, I, I totally agree with you, David, in terms of the, I mean, what we're, the headwinds we're facing in terms of the party in power and inflation and other things. Um, but I still feel confident there are, there are races that we are still, we are, the amazing thing is to me, we actually are still in a lot of these races, races that I think in other years probably would already be out of, you know, sort of out of uh, the, the range of possibility. And that, that is a function of how divided we are. We're so divided that people aren't crossing over. Like if they see somebody, very often people would split their, tech, uh, split their ballot and there's, it, it just seems it's very tribal and that there's just less of that. Also, I think that we've seen in the early voting, and this can fool us sometimes, but I think if we, it looks like we are turning out our people. And when you're, we're talking about Dobbs, I think that is uh, a huge motivator for. Uh, I feel like I'm part of a support group. Um, yes, I think the fact that we're so polarized means that turnout is everything or close to everything. And uh, that, that is the question. The reason that, in, that incumbent parties lose generally these midterms elect, midterm elections is because it's the aggrieved out party that turns out to vote. And the question is, will that be the case this time? In some of the polls that we've seen this week, there's a, bit, there's a gap between enthusiasm among Democrats as opposed to Republicans. That is what's giving Republicans hope. But that is a... That is a uh, bridgeable problem if people actually defy 
those polls and come out and vote. So on that, just to, I mean, I mean, this was in August. It's and now we, you know, here we are headed into the end of this. But in August, there was a referendum on abortion in the state of Kansas. Uh, and I remember the night before, you know, folks were like, it could go either way. It's just going to be it's on a knife's edge. We won or defeated that ab- ab- you know potential to ban abortion in uh, in Kansas by 18 points. It wasn't even close. It was like a massacre. And and of course, to your point, it was also a record turnout. I mean, the Republicans had set the election on a date that no one they thought no one would possibly come out to vote for. 20 percent of the voters only voted on that on that issue. There was a surge of Latino voters, young voters, and women voters. Um, and I and I also like to point out, even though, yes, it was a referendum on abortion, we won by 18 points, and 51% of the voters were Republicans. So that's a lot of Republicans who, at least on this issue, did cross over. So I don't know what's going to happen next Tuesday. I'm optimistic. I think we have to run through it. I think this, though, the Dobbs decision, the abortion bans that are now racing through this country and are going to even grow worse um, as the new legislatures go into session, this is not an issue that is going to age well for the Republican Party. This is something that it, I think is going to energize folks now, but I think it has the potential to be an even greater impact in 24 when the real um, repercussions of what it means to ban safe and legal abortion in a country um, become real for people. And I, I just do think that if you look at Kansas and it, and look at this early voting and how massive it is, that, you know, and by the way, polling isn't good. <laughs> isn't that, I mean, polling, yeah. you've been in this game for a long time, yeah. David. My friend Joel Benenson is here who polled a couple of Obama's races with me and is a superb pollster, and I'm sure he would tell you what other superb pollsters would tell you, which is it's all in the methodology of how you collect the data. I mean, there's also interpret interpretation matters. You know, it's harder and harder to get uh, to reach all the elements of the electorate that you need to reach. And it, it's costly to do it. And it involves using several different methods of reaching out to people. Most of these public polls don't do that. And so, uh, you know, we were told, well, aggregate them and you'll get something approximating what's really going on. But if you aggregate a bunch of lousy polls, you may get a lousy result. And so that's all that that's all true. Um, so so we, we don't know. And so turn out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Vote. I'm not going to I'm not going to do my sourpuss analysis stuff. Well, we'll do that I feel like yeah, I, no. I feel like I'm. I'd be run out of here on a rail if I if I if I did that. I wouldn't want that to happen. No, uh, you promised me it wouldn't. But but when this group won't do that. Um, so uh, the crowd when outside. we come back, we're going to take a break. And, and um, but when we come back, we'll go into some of these specific races. OK, uh, so we're going to take a, 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 a break now for a commercial and we're very excited uh, at the Al Franken uh, podcast to have a new sponsor, uh, Prevagen. My name is Bob Hensel. I'm a 71-year-old account manager 
for a thermal pump distributor in Medford, Oregon. And after using Prevagen for 30 days, I noticed a clarity I hadn't noticed before. And that's when I realized just how boring I am. <laughs> Prevagen, healthier brain, better life, just not more interesting. <laughs> Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true, listen. That's the sound of you learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Führer bunker. It's pretty simple, actually. Wo ist der Führer bunker? Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babel is better. One study found that using Babel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Oh, we have uh, another uh, Prevagen commercial. Ah, uh, yes. Who's next, me? Yeah, uh, uh, let's, uh, music. Oh, no, I, it's me, huh? My name is David Axelrod. I'm 67 years old. I'm director of the University of Chicago Institute of Politics. And frankly, I don't have to be all that sharp to do that job. <laughs> Who wrote this copy? But, I, but I'm also a political analyst for CNN. And four months ago, I drew a blank on the name Mike Pompeo. I immediately started taking Prevagen. <laughs> and I haven't blanked out on Mike Pope Pompeo since. Prevagen, healthier brain, better life, just not more interesting. All right, we're back. <laughs> so let's talk about some of these races. Uh, and again, incredibly close. Um, and, you know, I know we talked in the winter, last winter, uh, you were very pessimistic about uh, the cycle. And then, uh, like six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, you said to me, maybe I'm gonna have to write a mea culpa uh, because things were looking really good. And then I said, uh, you might wanna wait. <laughs> but let's start talking about these, these, these races. Yeah, well, as you guys point out, I think they're all, they're, they're all very close. 
I think the three that everybody's really focused on are Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Georgia. I mean, there is this supposition that uh, that may those states may tip the balance. Uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, John Fetterman uh, is ahead, but very marginally uh, in that race. That race has closed. Republican uh, uh, campaign committees spent thirty million dollars in in uh, in September, mostly on crime commercials. Mm -hmm. Not uh, uh, you know about his tenure as head of the uh, parole board. Uh, they took a quote of his, in which he said, "We could release, you know, I guess a third of the people in the state prisons, and we wouldn't make ourselves any less safe." And I think his point was there are a lot of people in there for nonviolent uh, crimes uh, who 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 probably shouldn't uh, be there. I mean, I want to speak for him. This is the thing that drives me nuts about these issues because that's a serious debate, a serious discussion to have. We're the most incarcerated country in the world and and yet we're not safer for it and you know what what are we doing what are we doing wrong but be that as it may that's this this has been an effective issue uh, against him and you know i i think that um the debate last week was a tough debate for him uh, my view of that debate was that he you know he had a great line after that debate which is i'm going to be better in january but Dr. Oz is still going to be a fraud. And, um, and the question really is, do, how do people, val you know, how do they interpret these two guys? And uh, does Oz get pushed across by the wave? Because he's not liked. He's got a negative uh, favorable rating. He's not a likable person. He's not from Pennsylvania, which seems relevant. Uh, uh, so... And, and Fetterman is, a, 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 he's liked. And the question is whether people make a judgment about his capacity uh, to serve. Nevada's very close. I don't know. Uh, I think the question there will be. Uh, well, let's, let's stick on, on Pennsylvania okay. because I thought, yes, there was a difficult debate, obviously, uh, and unprecedented. We've never seen anything like that. And we don't know exactly how that, that pans out. But I thought Oz also looked kind of sleazy and he had this great Good. line with this great line which is that uh, you know this should be abortion should be uh, between uh the woman the doctor and your and local political <laughs> yeah uh you know uh, yeah. office holder and um it's brilliant it was brilliant because <laughs> no, it was like he was. It was he finally. I mean, he was saying the quiet part out loud. And yes. It, yeah. And I and I think. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say you don't want it be, to be between uh, a woman and her doctor. National politicians. You want it between a woman and doctor. Local, local politicians, politicians. <laughs> exactly. And Doctor Oz in particular. Um, no, I mean I think the other thing that's going to be interesting, obviously, about that race is we have a big governor's race as well, and. Folks are figuring out pretty quickly that the difference between having rights and not having rights, particularly when it comes to um, your reproductive health care, is 100 percent about who's your governor. And so I feel like Josh Shapiro obviously has been running an excellent campaign. He's running against a horrific uh, opponent. Uh, and I think to me, the d interesting dynamic will be what does that do for for the well, the by, by making that comment. Uh, Oz opened the door for them to do Completely. ads linking Mastriano, who's a state senator right now, 
and is running for governor uh, to Oz, which they've been trying to avoid. And uh, yeah. so, you know, that and, was that was that was that was a mistake. Yeah, on his part. That <laughs> yeah, was that was a big that was a big mistake. And I think the other thing that's interesting, we'll see. But, you know, there was in several of these states and Pennsylvania is one of them. We saw a huge uptick in voter registration post Dobbs decision huge gender gap in that registration and in Pennsylvania in particular half of the new registrants were young women and so you know that means you know 35 and under so it means there's also people who have been energized in that state in particular and this issue isn't going away I mean probably specifically in Pennsylvania so it's I I think it I, I again this is one that is really really close and there's no way to there's no one should be writing this off at all yeah, we're talking about Senate races, but I, I just want to say parenthetically, uh, you know, the Michigan governor's race may also turn on this issue. Completely. And there's a there's a ballot question as yep. to whether they're going to codify uh, a, a abortion rights in the state constitution. If they don't, there's a law that goes back to 1931 that would go into effect. That's a really draconian uh, law. So. Um, you know, there, I think, interesting thing on this choice thing, and I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, it seems like it's a more potent issue in states where people feel like abortion rights are at risk in their state. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in New York, people feel secure that they're not going to take our abortion rights away in Oregon. And, uh, and, you know, so in an interesting way, in the most pro-choice states, it has the least impact on local races. Right. It's interesting. I was looking at, I think, Tom Bonier um, put out some numbers the other day about the the uh, spike in voter registration, particularly among women. And it has been in states where after post jobs where people looked up and went, oh, my God, this could this could be happening here. Understandably. In yeah, a way. yeah, exactly. And but and the interesting thing in Michigan was before Dobbs, you know, there had been conversations about putting in a, uh, a ballot initiative um, on for November. And it was sort of like, you know, kind of poking along after Dobbs, 750,000 some odd people signed um, uh, petitions to get it on the ballot, which is like more than any any ballot initiative ever in the state of Michigan. And so, and they, I was out there doing a, an event for them the other day that you know raising money for that ballot initiative. The enthusiasm and, and sort of engagement on the ground is huge, and I do think it is affecting not only that important governor's races, but obviously we have a really important Secretary of State race in in Michigan. Can I just ask yeah. one follow up question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 obviously everyone knows you as uh, the abortion lady. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, I just I didn't, it's I didn't want you to, have to say it. it. I know. I'm I just glad you to, said it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> That's OK. It's OK. No, no, no. But yeah. But, but you're also one of the savviest political minds that I know. Also- so uh, so so this is the difficult question, though. Do you think that there has been an over-reliance on the abortion issue in democratic messaging to the degree that some of these other issues that you raised earlier have been neglected, that people got to believe that that somehow would would be all that was necessary to to win these elections? Well, of course, some folks, obviously, a lot of uh, folks have been talking about this. And I have never I don't think I feel passionately about this issue. But it isn't the only thing that women care about in this country, right? In fact, a lot of the issues we're talking about 
inflation, cost of child care, things that have plagued women forever and have been acutely uh, felt during COVID, it's the Democratic Party has to fight on these issues and tell, you know, uh, sort of bring women along about what they're doing to make their lives better in the immediate term. So I don't think it's one or the other. Yeah, sure. I'm, yeah, yeah right. and I think that, so I think it's really important, but it's interesting, David, I don't know if you'll remember a race I'll never forget, the Mark Udall race uh, for mm -hmm. Senate in Colorado, when he ran against um, Cory Gardner, and he ran a lot of issues, uh, ads on bad, choice and whatever, um, and he ultimately lost that race. But I do know from his own pollster, the only times he was actually ahead was when he was running the ads, being clear on where he stood on choice and on Planned Parenthood. And so I actually, I, I think this it has to be a balance but I think the reason you're seeing so many Democrats run um, ads about the extremism of the Republican Party is because, frankly, it is the single most damning thing about the positions that the Republicans have that people can identify. I so, said there's a there's a there's a message, though, there, mm -hmm. which is we're focused on we're focused on these t kitchen table issues. We're focused on your life and they're focused on banning abortion. Exactly. Uh, trying to reverse the last election, uh, you know, impeaching President Biden for offenses to be determined later. Right. Uh, and the question is, and, and Obama framed this very well on the stump. I agree. Is this, uh, how's that going to help you? Right. Is this going to help you? And I think more of that would have been helpful. I, you know? I rigorously agree, I think. And there's some interesting if you look at what the Tim Ryan's race in, in Ohio, I think he's doing an excellent job of prosecuting this case uh, on how extreme the Republicans are, and J.D. Vance in particular, uh, um, on issues of personal freedom and including choice, not shying away from it, and also prosecuting the our e position the on, economic on, on the economic, that we are that we are the party that has done more for he working may, people. He, he and may not win, but it's the best Democratic race in the country. Well, let's talk about that race, because I, I sense, in a way, that like the, the, the SEC and others have not emphasized that enough, in my mind, because uh, he's run a great race. And J.D. Vance is a threat. Um, uh, you know, and, and here, J.D. Vance is a guy who compared Trump to a Nazi, right? Uh, and then 180 and... Right, but he uh, meant it in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, he didn't, actually. Um, but... Um, why, why is that? Is it just, well, you know why, you know why you were a Senator for crying out loud. You know how they make these decisions. They, they look at uh, their resources. They look at the races. They think they are most likely to win. Uh, and that is a plus eight Republican state. You've got the governor running like 20 points ahead of his democratic opponent. And they're skeptical as to whether Ryan as good a candidate as he is, can get over the hump. I hope, you know, honestly, I think he's run a, a splendid campaign. Uh, even if he doesn't get over the hump, people should look at his messaging. People should look at what he's done because he's he's gone everywhere in that state. He hasn't written any place in that state off. And he's talked to people with respect, uh, not just people who uh, live in glittering towers and have, 
degrees, but also people who work with their backs and work with their hands and uh, who we call essential workers when we have a crisis and then forget about the rest of the time. Uh, he's talking to those folks as peers, as brothers and sisters and friends, and they hear him. And that's why his race is so close. So, yeah, I don't I mean, I I understand in the sort of cynical calculus of politics why when they're apportioning money, he hasn't been at the top of the list. But when it comes to messaging, he has and people should pay attention to that race. Can, can I put another favorite state out there? Yep. My home state of Texas, where um, Again, not a state where you look at the numbers and folks would immediately pour money. Beto O'Rourke has outraised the sitting governor, Greg Abbott, in this race every single, every single reporting period. And it's not because he's got a bunch of big donors. It's because he has grassroots donors all over the state of Texas who are supporting him. And he's doing something, even though it's, it's a different state, it's a different um, vibe, he also is going into the belly of, you know, red counties. He's going in. He's not leaving anyone out. And in fact, uh, I was with him the other day and, you know, he goes to these um, town hall meetings, uh, which, of course, Greg Abbott never does, goes to town hall meetings. You know, the, the, the Abbott folks send their protesters out to pick it outside and he invites them in and brings them in and has them be part of the conversation and and. And to me, it's just like it is the way politics should be, which is we have yep. to quit like yelling past each other, bring people in and hear what's on their mind. Like what what yeah. is what's on their mind? And I just I feel like we we um, anyway, it's been inspiring to see. And I think he is um, he's doing the kind of work that we have to be doing everywhere, not writing off any any group of voters. Tell me a little bit about about Texas because we've been hearing for what, 15, 10, 15 years, it's gonna flip because of demographics, uh, and it doesn't seem to do that. Well, nothing flips. I'm just gonna say this about politics and organizing. Things don't just happen. Like, Georgia didn't just elect John Ossoff and uh, Reverend Warnock because it was sort of dropped out of the skies because years and years and years of hard work were put in by Stacey Abrams and a lot of other folks in that state to actually register voters and engage people and all that. So I think, you know, the problem we have, and so I actually do believe Texas is going to flip um, before I start have to start taking Prevagen or whatever it's called. And, um, and well, you haven't uh, even done your ad yet. I know, I know, I, I know, I'm getting there. But anyway, um, <laughs> I forgot about it. Um, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, Texas is a very dynamic state. It's a growing state. It's a state with, it's now a majority um, people of color state. Uh, it is a young state. And I do think it's going to change. But we also have, we haven't had a statewide Democratic elected official since my mom was governor there 30 years ago. So, you know, like that's, that means there's a lot, there's a lot of building to do. But, um, and, and I, you know, we were talking earlier, you can't take any vote for granted in that state either because people don't have a history of voting for Democrats, right? It's almost, it's cultural. It is well, tribal. Well, yeah, but there are people who do have a history of voting for Democrats uh, in the Latino community who have drifted a little bit. And Along it does border. speak to, it does speak to 
um, the need for Democrats to pay more attention. First of all, the Hispanic, we, we, we talk about Latino voters, Hispanic voters. The Hispanic communities are very diverse and different in different parts of the country. But in many parts of the country, they be, they're, they're increasingly, those voters are increasingly behaving like white working class voters. There's, they're more culturally conservative. There's a growing evangelical movement among uh, uh, Hispanic uh, voters. There are a lot of things going on there. And it would, you know, it's a mistake to assume that vote. You have to go out and you have to speak to them in a really meaningful way. And I, I just think too much has been taken for granted. And when you get to another state, Nevada, this year, I mean, the thing that's going to tell the tale in that state in a race that's even uh, is whether uh, Cortez Masto, the incumbent senator, gets uh, she's the, f the first and only Latina in the in the Senate, whether she gets the kind of support from the Latino community and Nevada that she needs to win that election right now in polling, it suggests that she's not pulling the, the number that she needs. So this is a warning sign for Democrats too. whether she wins or loses something that needs to be attended to uh, after this election. Uh, Unite here, the culinary workers there are on the doors. Nevada is a state with a great Democratic organization. And that's partly Harry Reid. But it, you remember when he was supposed to lose in 2010. Remember when Harry Reid said the Saturday, be, Sunday before he was running against a forerunner of some of the really bad Republican yeah. candidates. We say now I forget what her name was. And he said, I can't believe I'm losing to this idiot. Uh, that was a Sunday before the election. Of course, he didn't lose. That's Harry. Yes. Uh, Harry. Harry was great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful yeah, yeah. man. Harry. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, but again, again, uh, it's turnout. Can I just say something though, back to this? I, I, I think that, um, your point is, a, is important, David. It is that Latino voters, I'll just say in Texas are dealing with the same things that other voters are dealing with. Right. They, they, they want their kids to do better in school. They want the opportunity for a better job. They want to feel safe in their community. Right. And I think we make a mistake of thinking that somehow, um, they don't care about those issues. I mean, they are in Texas. They're patriotic. They are, you know, they they are proud. And I, I feel like it is a bigger problem um, that as Democrats, we are the party that supports you know, working families, you know, we support raising the minimum wage, you know, affordable child care, public education, all of the issues that not only Latinos care about, but working people care about. And we have got to flip the script on this because there is no way anyone who cares about those issues should be voting for the Republican Party in this country. And we just have lost that. We, and this, I mean, that's where the president just, I, I got to hear him the other night uh, in Wisconsin. Um, president Obama. I'm sorry, yes, President Obama um, was brilliant. Just brilliant. Um, in fact, if anyone needs a... If you need a pick me up before, uh, if this hasn't already just you know energized you, uh, headed into Tuesday, um, listen to uh, President Obama's speech in in Michigan, and you'll um, it'll it'll get you it'll get you off your couch. Yeah, he's pretty good as a candidate. I think he has such promise. Yeah, I think he's so relieved that he doesn't have any promise. <laughs> I, I I remember people. 
or go like, you know, Michelle Obama would make a great presidential candidate. And she, well, yeah. Why would she do that? <laughs> Let me say, I have as I, I know them quite well. Yeah. I, I have as I think a better chance of dancing next year in the Bolshoi Ballet than <laughs> that she would be running for president of the United States. Yeah. I think she she this is the great thing about Michelle Obama and it's part of her appeal. Um, she was really a conscript, you know, she didn't it volunteered to become a public figure. She was happy doing what she was doing, which was trying to uh, create healthcare opportunities for people on the south side of Chicago. She had a life that was separate from Barack's life. And then the presidential thing came and like everybody was all hands on deck. And she spent 10 years doing that work. Um, but she didn't love being in the public eye all the time and so on. And uh, I mean, she thinks more like a like most Americans do. And most Americans don't think necessarily running for public office would be the way to spend their lives. <laughs> most would like to be comedians. OK, well, let's take a break. Are you ready? Yeah, am I doing my ad? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, remember, uh, our, our, we're music? so excited about our new new sponsor. You ready? I know, but they're going to play the music. I thought they're going to You'll hear them. Okay, thanks. Our new sponsor, <laughs> Prevagen. Hi. Hi. My name's Cecile Richards. I'm, I'm 65 years old, and on the night of November 8th, 2016, I experienced a traumatic event. <laughs> My lines aren't near as funny as David's. Um, I found that I started to space out and I repeatedly lost my keys and misplaced my phone. And friends would say, Cecile, you're just getting old and always leave your phone and keys in the same place. That didn't seem to work until I started using Prevagen. And now I put them in a bowl on a table in my entryway. It wasn't that funny, honestly. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. And then I'm supposed to say Prevagen, healthier brain, better life. Just put everything in the same bowl. <laughs> there you go. That was that was that was the punch you said that I was supposed to read. But you, you see, the comedic premise on that was that you're just we're all, especially this audience, it's just forgetting where their keys are <laughs> and their phone. I at least. Oh, that was the funny part? <laughs> wow. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Cecile Richards and, and David Axelrod. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 
That's audible.com slash WonderyPod. Or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's go back to this uh, threat to democracy because we have... We have other states. We have down. Uh, I mean, other races. We have down ballot races, and mm-hmm. what over fifty percent of Republican candidates, and these include like scary secretaries of state candidate candidates who are deniers. And this is extremely dangerous. And I have a PAC, Midwest Values PAC, and we're giving money to like Unite Here, which does this door knocking in Nevada and Arizona and Pennsylvania, but also to these secretaries of state races. Because if these election deniers, and we have the, the, uh, the candidate for governor in Arizona says she won't accept, basically that she'll only accept that she wins. This is really scary. Yeah, I mean, this, the 2022 election is really about the 2024 election. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Pennsylvania governor appoints the secretary of state. And so the winning the governor's race in Pennsylvania is important for a million reasons, but including because if we can't certify an election in Pennsylvania, it's very hard to imagine the Democrats ever being able to win an election again. And then, and you're right, I, the, the, the work that the Democratic Secretary of State's organization is doing is absolutely essential. And anyone who hasn't voted yet, you've got to make sure that you're voting all the way down the ballot. Because um, this has been, I mean, Steve Bannon has recruited people, the Republican Party has recruited people, election deniers um, in these critical races that are literally about certifying elections. And this is not something we've ever seen before. Yeah, I just want, I, I want to just make it broader because I know it, it's easy to see it through the lens of Democratic candidates, but uh, it's bad for the country. It's, 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 it's a death knell for democracy if we elect uh, people who uh, are going to play havoc with the election process and people who are pledging to in Arizona, uh, you know, back in the uh, in the in the period after the last election, there was all of this back and forth in the legislature um, and the speaker, Republican Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers, um, stood up to all of this pressure uh, from the president, from Rudy Giuliani, from uh, uh, Ginny Thomas, uh, from John Eastman, the whole Motley Crue. But the guy on the other side of the fight in the legislature was named Mark Fincham, who was uh, spreading all of these conspiracy theories, uh, the ones that Trump and Giuliani picked up, about 200,000 illegals voting and 6,000 dead people, none of whom could be identified and all of this. And 
that guy is now the Republican candidate for Secretary of State to become the elections administrator in the state of Arizona. And he has a he has a fair chance to win that election. Uh, and, you know, there's a, a someone, an election denier in Michigan running for secretary of state in your state. I think there is one yep. in uh, Nevada. Uh, and so, uh, you know, these are states that are that may play a role in uh, deciding who the next president of the United States can be. And, yes, that's bad for Democrats, but it's worse for the country. Yep. I saw a stat today and it's CNN poll. Half the Amer- half of Americans said that they were confident uh, in the integrity of that of the results of this election that they now six and 67 percent of Democrats said yes. Sixty seven percent of Republicans said no. I was surprised that the number among Democrats was so low. I mean, we are in a spiral here because if you if people begin to lose confidence in this election system, uh, that's the fundamental bedrock of a democracy. So these secretaries of state races are they're not getting enough attention. Uh, and uh, as Cecile said, you know, Bannon is on to them. I think he's going down there this week. And I think the governor candidate, Carrie Lake, invited him down for a rally. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's so serious weird. stuff going on here. So weird. I mean, and scary that that's normalized. That you, Bannon is coming around because this is like literally a fascist is that fair i mean i, I wouldn't worry about that much about being fair <laughs> i don't think he worries that much about being fair uh well you no, want to i mean he, he fashions himself as a historic fig- historical figure who is going to usher in a new era of authoritarianism around the world, not just in America. He's not a small thinker, that's Steve Bannon. So um, apparently he'll have a few months to think about it. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's fun. So uh, Georgia. Yeah, close. Close. Yep. Um, I think Reverend, I mean, well, I don't know. Do we have to talk about Herschel Walker or just I don't even know what to say. I saw it's today like, that he's, he said, I'll put my resume up against Barack Obama. Oh, my God. Anytime. I know. I know. Really? No, it's just yeah. you can't really. You know, it is. Sorry. It, it used to be disqualifying if you had put a gun to the head of your ex-wife. <laughs> but not anymore. Yeah. I mean, and I guess just from, you know, the work I did for many years at Planned Parenthood, I just say I'm glad that Mr. Walker um, and his various friends and lovers could make their own decisions about what to do about their pregnancy and um, and I wish he would afford that right to everyone else. And it is incredible that that he's even in you know in the running um but again we talked about this is tribalism it's like people you know and um but it also just of course completely shows the complete hypocrisy of the republican party they don't care about babies they don't care about women they don't care about any of this they are just appealing to their right-wing base and i still have to believe at some point a party who is obsessed with um, controlling women's bodies, 
uh, taking the way, uh, away the right of folks to marry whoever the hell they please, that deny um, that we have a climate crisis uh, in this world, that want to take away the right to vote. Um, this is a party that has got to be shrinking in its appeal in this country. And so even though we're facing this tough midterm election, their agenda is so extreme and so right-wing, I just still believe at the end of the day, we can build a governing majority uh, in America to fight them back. I, I, I want to really make do. a uh, uh, just a po one point about these Senate races. You know, the casting director for all of these races we're talking about has been Donald Trump. Right. He was the one who chose Herschel Walker to run for the Senate. Uh, he chose Dr. Oz uh, to run for the Senate in Pennsylvania. Uh, he, cho he chose Ca Carrie Lake down in Arizona to run. Uh, for governor. So, you know, uh, he's the one who I mean, I, I would I think given the nature of the year, actually, Republicans probably would have had a better chance if other candidates had been nominated. So Trump, you know, this is this is his ticket That's right. and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But here's the thing on Georgia. Uh, it's close. And they have a runoff rule in Georgia uh -huh. that's unusual in the country. So if you don't get 50 percent, right. uh, then you go to runoff, which we saw in 2020 uh, or 2021 was the runoff. Uh, so it could there is some speculation that it's close enough that this race could go uh, to a runoff. It may be that once again, if Dem if if Fetterman can hold on in uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, or uh, if Nevada holds and the other states uh, hold that that Georgia, this, this that runoff in Georgia could once again determine control of the Senate. And there are a lot of speculation about what that means. Would that favor Walker? Would that favor uh, Warnock? I think Warnock would like to win this thing uh, in the first round here. Yeah. He's outstanding. He's a, he's outstanding, Reverend Warnock. I just think yep. really, I mean, we haven't talked about that sort of the, we've talked about, well, I think we called them knuckleheads on their side, which I thought was a kind of a quaint term. But I think the cast of characters that Trump has picked um, is, uh, is, it's incredible. And, and I, but I, I will say too, I'm so really proud of who the Democrats have put up across like look at Sherry Beasley. What an extraordinary woman. I mean, I don't know that she I don't know whether she can win that race in North Carolina, but so, so great. Val Demings, another amazing like just like we have anyway, we Catherine Cortez Masto. I mean, what a spectacular member of the United States Senate, Maggie House. Anyway, I'm really proud of who we put up. We're obviously this is a tough the the environment is tough, but I have um I'm really proud of the Democratic ticket. Doesn't it strike you as I, I was sitting here thinking about these Trump candidates and when you Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker, Carrie Lake, and you think, wow, he was like creating a episode of the Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like that? I mean, except they're running for well, J.D. Vance, too. J.D. Vance, Vance as well. Vance, yes. Yeah. Show business. I mean, he, he yeah, was in show he, business. Exactly. And that's. Um, that's what he knows, I guess. Uh, and let's hope that he's uh, prosecuted and convicted. Um, 
but that's a whole nother episode for of the Al Franken podcast. Yeah, I, I don't want to go. I mean, yeah, that's a big subject, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, you guys, uh, thank you so much. Everybody vote. Go fight uh, win. But not just vote, but, uh, you know, Dorn and I, we do GOTV, get out the vote in Minnesota uh, those last two nights. And it's uh, volunteer to door knock wherever you are. Again, I won my first race by 312 votes. And I owe that. And the ACA would not have happened. I was the 60th uh, Democrat. I'm, gra- I'm right. grateful That's to you. That's right. I'm grateful to you. And Al, also just because we're in New York, if there's any New Yorkers in the audience that haven't voted, go vote. Okay, yeah. we got some really close races here in this state. We do. And uh, yeah, uh, we don't want somebody who's like a, a election, Zeldin a denier. I mean, he voted to not certify. Uh, and there's all kinds of reasons, uh, obviously. But And New Yorkers, again, you're right that because we don't, New Yorkers aren't worried about losing uh, the right, the choice, the right of choice. They're not as motivated by that. But we want young women and anyone who cares about that issue should be everybody uh, to vote. So, okay, and uh, are we uh, are we are we done? Because are we going to get when when do we get our free Prevagen? I didn't guarantee that, but... Um, you forgot. Uh, but no, no. <laughs> I think we'll end on that. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Cecile Richards, David Axelrod. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Get out there. Good night, everybody. Thank you for coming. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. 
the problem. This dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.